0: And the second thing that's really I think even more significant is that this is really a pivotal moment in the gospel of mark um, Jesus' transfiguration uh, or he is trans- transfigured and again I, I think I don't want to say from human to divine again, I don't want to get too into the technical details of you know he was he he is transfigured before his disciples from human to divine, right they didn't understand jesus as the son of god at that point Uh, but then he is transfigured before them Um, so it's it's really a a kind of turning point in the gospel mark it's it's probably the hinge that where things really change Um, and then when we talked about this back on christmas eve uh we just defined a little bit of transfiguration where we said you know it is that change um from one state to another but it's it has to do with exalting or glorifying. It's from one step to another step. Um, Jesus' transformation was from human to divine. We also talked about the transfiguration was the 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 fusing of suffering and glory, right? Where Jesus will suffer and in his suffering is his glory, right? He doesn't suffer and can't wait to escape glory. And, and some of the Eastern religions will say that, um, We'll kind of look at suffering as, again, something to be avoided or something to be escaped from. Jesus would say that in that suffering, right, in his suffering is his glory. Um, we talked a little bit about listening. Uh, and we were using, Chris, we were using the I, the idea of sugar, of, uh, of you know, again, that kind of Jeanette's journal where she said, you wouldn't want me to have all these sweets. And there was that initial obedience. There's that kind of internal change. And then there's that lasting transformation um, that happens when we listen and this is this is the life of a disciple with jesus right is again there is that kind of initial maybe obedience and then it becomes to take it starts to take root within our hearts and then are you guys going outside already to play Good get it boys uh, and then there is that lasting transformation i better hustle up if they're already getting out there i'm usually huh Maybe they're just switching it up, or maybe they're just sending those wild boys out there. And then the transformation happens a long time. So let's read this passage again, Uh, 705, Mark chapter 9, 1 through 10. Uh, If somebody wants to start us off. Voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around and no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone if they had seen for the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept them out of themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Excellent. And do this with me real quick. I'm I'm gonna reference the Matthew version as well, too. So turn over to Matthew 17. And let's just, there's there's one spot that's kind of in the middle that I want to reference. And I'm going to read this. This is Matthew 17, 1. Um, so this is Matthew's version. So some, um, So it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, very similar to Mark. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white, white as light. Just then appeared before them Moses and Elijah, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then this this verse right here six and seven six seven and eight when the disciples heard this they fell face down to the ground terrified but Jesus came and touched them get up he said don't be afraid when they looked up they no longer uh, they saw no one except Jesus right and then again as they were coming down the mountain Jesus instructed them don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead okay. So there is, that, there is that little piece in there, which I, 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 again, you know, the way that Matthew and Mark kind of narrate their gospels a little bit different, but Matthew puts that little piece in there. When the disciples hear the voice of God, when they hear that voice of God, they fall to the ground terrified and Jesus comes and touches them. He says, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus. So I'm going to make a little bit of a reference towards that later in the sermon, but I just wanted to have some familiarity with that. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting to to point out at the very beginning is this number six, because whenever the Bible references a number, we got to pay attention to it, Um, especially in Mark, because Mark never, really never uses numbers, right? He he will use phrases like immediately, or a few days later, or one Sabbath, or that day when evening came, right? But here he's really specific, right? He says six days later, or after six days, right? There's, uh, and then again, you always want to take that number, okay? That number, you're using it for a specific reason. What is that tying into? How is that, you know? You can think of the number six in the Bible, right? And some of the real... Obvious examples, there's the six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rests, right? So the seventh day is that Sabbath rest. Then God uses that pattern as he instructs the Israelites. And he says, hey, you're going to work for six days. And on the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to have that Sabbath, right? Here's what's interesting. Exodus 24, um, Moses goes up on Sinai, right? And he waits on Sinai for six days for Yahweh to speak, for God to speak to him. That's Exodus 24. He goes up the cloud. Listen to this language, right? Moses goes up the mountain. The cloud covers the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses in the midst of the cloud, right? So Mark says, after six days, after six days from what? uh, Six days ago, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So Peter's confessing that Jesus is the Messiah, there's the six days, and then on that seventh day, they're up on the mountain. The cloud covers, right? And, and God is speaking to, to Jesus, to those present, right? So why make this note? Why, why is this important? One of the things that was, I really enjoyed seeing when I was in Europe and, and just in general too is there was one of the places we visited um, in Sevilla. And it was a, it was a, the royal, what was the one The the, Alcazar? the royal Alcazar, it was a, it was like, a, it was like a palace, right? And in this palace, they had a room, this, I'm sorry, this picture's hard to see. It was called the Room of Tapestries, right? And you had all these beautiful tapestries kind of on the walls. And these tapestries told a story. Well, what's a tapestry? It's just inner, it's just interlocking threads, right? It's just all these threads kind of coming together to create a picture, So, when I think about one of the things that Mark is doing here, right, when he's using this six days, is, and and this is really important for us to continue to remember, is that the Bible is continually being interwoven. The story of Jesus is continually being interwoven into the Old Testament. So, you have the New Testament, and again, Jesus isn't just like kind of winging it here. He's thinking specifically, he's acting specifically as this new Moses, as this one who is leading this Exodus, not from Egypt. But from sin and death, and he's he's doing these things in again as he's building and weaving together this beautiful tapestry of the Old Testament, of the New Testament. Um, sometimes, you know, for us as Christians, we kind of ignore the Old Testament, or we don't give as much attention to the New Te- or Old Testament, which I can also be guilty of. Um, but we have to remember that the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read, right? What Bible did Jesus read? What Bible did Jesus memorize? What Bible did Jesus study? It was all the Old Testament. It was Moses. It was Elijah. It was the prophets, right? So we have to kind of continually understand that Jesus is, again, as a beautiful tapestry, he's bringing these two streams together, right? He's weaving these two streams together. Now, the second thing that I want to talk about here is there's, there's this real... I'm going to say this, this exclusivity, right? This exclusivity of Jesus. And what I want us to imagine this morning, <laughs> look at this great picture. Come on, let's just get our new year started off with a great picture. Um, I want us to imagine for a second this morning, we get into this time machine. Anybody remember the date when they travel back to you? Movie trivia? Come on, somebody's got this one. 1955, the date? It's like November something. November? We just got to no- 15? No. You're close. 20. The 12th, right? So imagine you get into the time machine, right? The DeLorean. And uh, instead of going to 1955, you go to the year 55, right? So you go all the way back, to, say, 2,000 years ago. And you, you join one of these really early Jesus communities, um At the beginning of Acts, if you study the book of Acts, at the beginning of Acts, these people who are following Jesus are simply called followers of the way, right they're not even called Saul is the one who coins Saul before he becomes Paul is the one who be, uh, coins them Christians, right these these little Christ it's a derogate it's an insult that he's oh, you little Christ there's um there's a few sports people here, but There's like a joke or like an insult that people use in sports right now by calling somebody else small. Have you guys heard this? Like you're small or that person's small. And it's, again, like you're little, you're insignificant. That's what Saul does when he calls them Christian. So really early on, they're just called followers of the way, right? So again, you're in your time machine. You go back to the year 55. You're alive and active in this movement, in the way, in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s. You don't have a Bible. Right? There's, no, there's no New Testament that you just open up to read. As a matter of fact, there's less than a 10% chance that you even know how to read. right? So what you have for the most part <clears throat> is you have, um, you have the Old Testament. right? Maybe in your village or your town, there might be a copy of the Old Testament, um, the Law of Moses, Maybe you have some of Isaiah or Elijah's um, prophetic words, right? Um, but then you also have these emerging words of Jesus, right? That seem to have importance. And these emerging words of Jesus, it, it's, just an, it's like an oral gospel, right? It's, it's just a spoken or a preached New Testament. It's not written down. Remember, Mark doesn't write his words down into the 50s or the 60s. The Gospels, like, they are not come together as the Gospels until about 170 or 180 is when the Gospels are kind of finalized and canonized, right, within the church. And we say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are our guys, right? So you have the words of Moses, right? You have God's mouthpiece, so to speak, Elijah, you have this oral New Testament, these written words, or I mean, these spoken words of Jesus, this preached New Testament, right? So a really big question that the early church, that if you were to go back and be in this time, you would have to face is who had authority, right? Who really has the authority? What text, right? Is it the, is it the law of Moses, right? And if you read the book of Acts, you see them kind of figuring this out. Was it Elijah? Was it kind of what Jesus had to say? Like who... Who was the one that kind of had authority? So Brunner, Dale Bruner, um, in, in his commentary, and he's kind of commentating on the, Mark, uh, the Matthew version, but he has this great insight, and I'm going to use him a couple times because his, his commentary on this was just incredible. He says this. He says, this is kind of a summary of what, what I'm trying to say here. In the early history of the church, before the composition and the collection of the New Testament, the law and the prophets and the words and the deeds of Jesus the Messiah, again, that oral gospel, that preached New Testament, they kind of were all vying for coronation in the church as the final or at least co-equal arbiters in the church's questions of faith and life. Who had priority, right? Who, had, um, who, who was in charge? So Brunner says this, and he says, the question was critical because for well over a century after Jesus' resurrection, This newborn community, these followers of the way, lived without an authorized canonical New Testament. That does not happen until 170 or 180. All they had in their hands, in very few places, was the revered Hebrew or Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in their hearts, kind of everywhere, they had these stories of Jesus that they heard from their teachers, right? So, one of the things that I would say um, Mark is doing in this gospel, one of the reasons he's showing this story, one of the reasons that story becomes so important is because he's showing that Jesus has continuity with Moses and with Elijah in the Old Testament. There is that interweaving, there is that interlocking, that tapestry, Right? But he's also showing an exclusivity, a priority of Jesus, that Jesus is the authority here, right? When God speaks from the cloud, does he instruct us to listen to, these are my chosen ones, listen to them. No, he says, this is my son, you listen to him, right? Does he transfigure all of them, right? Are they all standing up there, their faces shining like the sun, their clothes as white as... Uh, wider than anyone in the world could bleach it or is it just jesus who's transfigured jesus is transfigured so there's it's, it's this really interesting passage where there's this continuity there's this interlocking there's this tapestry with the old testament and yet there's this real exclusivity that jesus is the climax of the biblical revelation right that he is the one dale brunner again says says this because um Peter then interrupts and he says, hey, this this passage about the shelters, right, has kind of always uh, always tripped me up. Like, w- what's the shelters? What is he doing here? Why is he wanting to do this, right? So Peter says, hey, let's build three shelters. And I was like, what? It, it, Brunner says again like this. He says, Peter's plan, Peter wants to build these shelters. It borders on syncretism, right? These kind of, all everybody's the same. Everybody's synced up. And he says, to be sure, Jesus' booth is first, but Moses and Elijah are almost Of equal interest, right? Jesus and Moses and Elijah are given the honors. The gospel and the law and the prophets are all pretty much on the same level, right? So Peter's got this idea, like, hey, we're just going to sync everything together, right? And Jesus doesn't say, like, hey, that's a great idea. Let's put up three shelters. We're all kind of no, no, right? That's when the cloud comes and says, no, you need to listen to my son. Jesus is the one that's transfigured. Uh, John Christendom, we're taking it back to the 300s. Christendom says this, and this has got that old, that old English. So you got to kind of track with it a little bit. What sayest thou, O Peter? Did, <laughs> didst didst thou not a uh, little while since distinguish him from the servants? Remember just six days ago, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. You are alive, right? Right. Um, You are not John, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, as the people are saying. And then Christendom's like kind of critiquing Peter a little bit, right? He's saying, art thou again numbering him with the servants? Think not of three shelters when there is but one. One of the things that Mark's doing in this gospel, right, is he is pointing again. You're getting too hot? What's going on? Oh, it's warm right here. If you want to come stand here, just warm up a little bit. Um, again, one of the things he wants to do, if you're to go back, he's really trying to explain: Jesus is this climax of the biblical revelation. He doesn't just have the divine blessing as as he gives Moses and Elijah. He is divine, right? This is something. Again, it's hard for us because. When Mark's writing this gospel, he might not really be considering two thousand years in the future, right, but he has to do this for that early Jesus community to understand again who has priority, who has exclusivity, who is the one that we are to follow um, So let me do what, two other things. Um, again, kind of using these two these two parallels. Um, Going back to the Matthew, the Matthew version for a second, Bruner, I love how Bruner would phrase this. He calls he calls this this the Sermon on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And he's comparing these Matthew versions. Um, in Matthew, Jesus goes up onto a mountain and he gives his his sermon, right? If you count it, it's about twenty four hundred words in the in the New International Version in English. In Matthew seventeen, there is a different sermon that's preached, right? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 16 words, right? Bruno says, this is so so great for us to hear. He says, it means that the single most important fact that God wants the church and the world to know, barring none, is all that we have in Jesus of Nazareth, right? The Sermon on the Mount that God gives, um, the Sermon on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? It means that the single most important fact that um, God wants the church and the world to know, barring none, is all that we have in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, one more thing that I want to kind of finish with. I want to go back in a little bit to talk about listening one more time. Right? We talked with the Jeanette idea. Um, there's a little bit of a different tact I want to take on it this morning. And, and here's one that I want to talk about is this kind of listening before action Right now, in the passages again, um, Jesus is having a con- he's speaking with Elijah and Moses, right? And Peter, I know a lot of you guys have watched the Chosen. They do a pretty good job, I think, in the Chosen of of kind of creating this Peter character who's kind of always he's just ready to get in there and do stuff, right? He's just like, oh, we're going to do this. And um, Peter kind of does the same thing here, right? Jesus is having this conversation, and he kind of like butts in, right? Rabbi it's good for us to be here i'm gonna i'm gonna get to work and start building some shelters and, and getting some you know all these things together and you can kind of picture Peter doing that in the chosen um and here's 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 this is really important at least for me and I hope for y'all too one of my temptations one of my um one of my shortcuts that i that I will routinely fall into doing is to kind of do stuff without taking the time to listen, right? And here's what I mean by that. And I might have spoken on this a little bit before as well, too. I've been doing church ministry now for over 20 years. So I kind of know how to do it, so to speak. You know what I mean? I know how to be effective. I know how to get a sermon done. I know how to organize a Sunday morning. Um, I know what a Bible study looks like, a serve day, you know, all those sorts of like I kind of know what to do, you know, it's like, you know, you're like, people just know your job. Um, but the temptation that I have is to do all that stuff without really taking the time to listen, right? So here, here's Eric up on the mountain, just building all these tabernacles, these shelters, getting everything ready. And, you know, and God's like, you're not really listening to me. Like you're doing a lot of activity, but you're not really listening to me, right? And again, this is, something that I have to really be careful for in my own heart, that I'm spending the time, that I'm considering, okay, God, what are we doing on Sunday morning? Is this important for us to meet on Sunday morning? Is this what you're calling us to be as a church? Should we go camping? Should we do this event? Should, you know what I mean? Because I can just say, okay, let's, we're going to do camping this year, and then we're going to do our second Sunday, and we're going to do this, this. And I've never taken that time and that space to listen. Right? I, I shared this quote back on Christmas Eve, which was the Eugene Peterson, or the Bruner and Peterson quote, and when I shared these quotes back on Christmas Eve, I, I read them completely different than the way that I looked at them again fresh this week. I read them as you out there. And this week I read it really specifically pointing towards me, right? Church leadership, that's me, right? Is, or in any church, right? Is tempted to think that the main service it performs for Christ is to be very busy for him. to Do a bunch of stuff, right? And then Brunner says that the church, again, kind of my main service of Christ, then with Peter, and now, is to give opportunities for him to be listened to. One of my main jobs as a pastor, any pastor's main job, is to give God opportunities to be listened to. Right listening will always lead, I love that those last two words, unfrenetic obedience right, unfrenetic obedience, and then the second one, my primary job as a pastor is to help people hear God's voice, and for them to respond appropriately, how can I do that if I'm not doing it myself, right, so again, this kind of real, this passage just hit me in a different way, how am I listening to the Lord, right, when am I listening to the Lord, where am I listening to the Lord, before all this kind of church activity, this action, these, all these things that we do as a church, right? Um, and then the last thing is this, that, that Peter has proximity without listening, right? They all have proximity without listening. They're right in the very presence of God, right? And they're not, again, they're not listening. They're not listening. And here's some examples. You can attend church, and I do this sometimes too. We can attend church and we're daydreaming about lunch. And we're doing this this afternoon. Where are we going to go to eat? You know? And you're not even Listening to the to the, whether it's the spoken preaching word or the music or the Eucharist, we're just kind of somewhere else, right? Ever been in a Bible study and you're like, just so annoyed with somebody that you're not even, you know, what I'm saying, or you're singing worship songs, and you're like, I don't really like that song that Brian's saying. He's played that one last week, and you know, this one would be nice. If we had a drummer up here, you know. Sometimes people read. By the way, these are all kind of self-confessions at some level too. <laughs> Except for the, except for that one about the, yeah. <laughs> you're like you do that like, okay, it's a new year. I'm going to do this new devotional. I got this one app, right? And you're doing your devotional, and you're like, oh, I got to check an email real quick. I'm going to look at a quick text message. I'm going to do this. So a lot of times, you know, we have this proximity towards towards God, but we're we're not really listening, right? Um, and you know. I don't know. I I think that a real challenge for us within this year, within the coming years, is not only do we want to be close to the Lord, right? Attending church, so to speak, Bible studies or songs or devotionals, but really giving Him our our ear, our heart. Um, I'm kind of going, I think I have time for one more thing. This is great. This is the last one, I promise. I think I've said that two other times. <laughs> I love that. I love the line um, where where Peter says, um, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah. And then there's the brackets. Did you guys read the brackets? They did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Did anybody pick up on that? They did not know what to say. They were so frightened. And I was just thinking this whole, like, one of the things that really captures me about this is um, is people kind of just speaking out of fear and ignorance, right? And how much of a problem that is. And I was thinking like, you know, I, I was going to come, this is the problem with our society is people are out there speaking out of fear and ignorance. And I'm like, well, Peter did it 2,000 years ago. So it's not that it's now, it's then. It's, it's always people have Speaking out of fear and ignorance, right? And again, we can we can see that and hear that, and that might happen with media, right? We can kind of look at media and shake our fists at media and say, oh, "That that that's CNN or that Fox News speaking out of fear and ignorance, or you know, or or social media, you know, people like posting all their stuff, or um, politicians, or let's be real, like how many pastors, right? Preachers." Religious people speaking out of fear and ignorance, right? Um, and it really caught me this week of like, how are we, again, listening and looking for Jesus? That part in Matthew, which we kind of quoted at the beginning, Jesus is speaking, or I'm sorry, Peter speaking, right? And here God interrupts Peter. Bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud says, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We listen to him. Disciples hear this. They fall face down to the ground. Now they're terrified. Right? In one passage, Peter is speaking out of fear and ignorance. They don't know what to say. They were so afraid right, or frightened. In Matthew, they fall to the ground terrified. Jesus touches them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they look up, they no longer saw anyone but Jesus. Right? So again, for me, a lot of a lot of challenges, a lot of challenges for us as a church. We can do this as parents, right? Speaking out of fear and ignorance towards our kids. We can do this in our relationships between our spouses. Fear and ignorance. Instead, we we turn our eyes towards the Lord. We look towards the Lord for that guidance, for that word, right? God, what do you have to say to me? What am I listening to? How am I encountering that in the scriptures? Is there a devotional that I'm, you know, getting? Being able to engage and listen to you. How am I listening to you? How am I looking? This is just the life of a, a disciple, of a follower. It's just to listen and to look for Jesus. Then again, as, as Peterson says, and then we respond appropriately. All right? I think that should be enough for this morning. Yeah? Um, let's go this way. A couple questions. Uh, the, the I don't know. I think I got away from putting the three Ps on for a while. But I used to... Always have these up there. The praise, uh, the problems, and the pushback. Things you agreed with, things you liked, things that stood out to you. Um, The problems, things you had further questions on. Well, what about this? Well, I didn't understand this part. And then the pushback. Yeah, I don't think that that was right. Maybe that you said that in a different way. I wouldn't agree with that. There's always space in our gatherings for all three of those, right? Mainly praise. Um, but. Eric, it was just so wonderful. (laughs) Why do you think Christians struggle to integrate the Old Testament with the New Testament? Um, How does understanding the New Testament in its original context change your life today, right? So again, Mark's saying like, hey, I got to show you that Jesus is exclusive, that he's the one. And again, that's primarily geared towards, again, that time machine 2,000 years ago. How does that impact us today? Um, Do you have any go-to's? for listening to Jesus, and can you think of a time when you spoke out of ignorance or fear, or if you're really risky, both, all right, so take a few minutes on those questions, and then uh, we'll do some group discussion.